welcome to Wash Talk, the podcast series from IRC, where we talk about water, sanitation and hygiene services around the world. My name is Jeroen Westerbeek and together with IRC's Katerina Fonseca, in this episode, we will talk about financing of water and sanitation services. Today on the phone from Washington DC, we will talk to Bill Kingdom from the World Bank. You need to do more uh, with what you've got and not just wait for more and more money to come from concessional arrangements. And later in this episode, we will also talk to a development economist from Uganda. The challenge of financing water and sanitation services to make sure the UN's sustainable development goals are met is expensive. But it's not just all about the money, says our guest today, Bill Kingdom of the World Bank. And Bill is the global lead for water and sanitation at the World Bank. And he's responsible for sharing knowledge and best practices, both inside and outside the bank. And next to me is uh, Katerina Fonseca. Welcome again. Hi, Jeroen. How you're, are you? You're the head of IRC's international program. Katerina, could you briefly explain the, the, the size of the problem? Well, the latest World Bank numbers are actually quite scary. Um, to reach those, just those without water and sanitation, it will cost between 14 and 47 billion dollars per year. Per, Th- per year. That's a lot. It's a lot. And that's still 2030, which is a target for the Sustainable Development Goals. But actually, these numbers uh, don't include the recurrent costs required to maintain the existing infrastructures. And they're about three times the present uh, investment uh, levels in infrastructure. But there's two other problems. So it's not only uh, the costs, which are very high, but it's also the, the rates of the, the investments at the moment, which is just too slow. And a lot of the focus in the sector and the attention is going to uh, private finance. Um, And there's not enough attention to raise domestic uh, public finance. So these are just some of the the numbers behind the problem. So the focus of the WASH sector has now shifted to meeting the UN's sustainable development goals, which calls for the universal access to water and sanitation services by 2030. And this means that the sector faces major financing challenges. Bill Kingdom from the World Bank, what is the role of the World Bank in taking on these challenges? Uh, thanks, Erin. Uh, um the, the challenge is more than just finance, and I just wanted to stress that uh, right at the beginning. Um, to meet the SDGs, we're going to have to do a lot of things, uh, build capacity uh, in client countries, both for implementation of these large investment programs that Katerina's pointed out, uh, but also operational performance so that these new assets can be maintained for the full economic life. We need to think about uh, improving sector performance and governance to make sure that these uh, recipients are well-run utilities or well-run CBOs, whatever they happen to be. And we need to work with governments to ensure that the right incentives are in place to uh, attract new sources of finance, uh, expand existing public finance, which Katerina mentioned. And I think, you know, using public money to... uh, bring in or crowd in or leverage uh, some additional finance from the uh, private sector. And just to be clear, when I talk about private sector, I mean private finance. That's from banks and pension funds and things like, uh, like that. So this issue, scaling up uh, from billions to trillions, as we've been calling it uh, uh, in the bank and globally, certainly is a huge challenge for all of us uh, working in the sector. 
Yeah, but how, how can we do it? So I wanted to highlight uh, five uh, key ways um, because, you know, there's no one solution to this. Um, so first of all, uh, as Katrina mentioned, we, we need to see to what extent we can increase existing public funding. Um, so government's own resources uh, to be moved uh, more towards water sector. Uh, so that's one area. The second area is to... Um, see how we can make uh, existing utilities, particularly in the urban sector, uh, more attractive as potential borrowers. Um, in the US, for example, although the sector is predominantly publicly managed, uh, it's also predominantly privately financed uh, through bonds and the like. So can we move towards that uh, goal? And for that, we need uh, utilities with good governance and good performance. And it's nice. There are uh, good stories out there. Uh, Vietnam in Da Nang, um, Arequipa in Peru, Burkina Faso in Anaya. Uh, they've all made great strides to improve their performance. So this can be, can be done. So that was the second area. In the third area, just to come back to this point I've been making, how can we crowd in domestic finance to help us meet this gap? And I'm particularly interested in domestic finance because... Revenues come to utilities from tariffs, which are in a local currency. And if we borrow in hard currency, then we can have problems around currency mismatches and devaluations. But if we mobilize domestic capital, then that potential risk uh, is reduced. And again, you know, we are seeing examples around the world where this is happening. Um, in Cambodia, AFD, the uh, um, French development agency has been working uh, to help a local bank provide credit uh, to small-scale providers. Uh, in South Africa, there's been various innovative ways of um, mobilizing uh, domestic finance. And through our own programs using output-based aid, uh, we've seen leveraging uh, public money uh, with another two or three times uh, coming from uh, private finance so that we get more money into the sector. That's really our goal here uh, because we want to bridge that financing gap. Yeah, but I can also imagine uh, you have to rethink how you spend the money. So that's important, uh, and I'm glad you've raised that because, you know, the question is, do we need all the money that these estimates have been coming up with? Um, so can we be more effective in the use of our capital and thereby reduce the investment needs and hence shrink the financing gap? And even there, you know, there are many ways we can think about it. Is it a technology issue? For example, you know, do we need sewers in all urban areas or could we use much lower cost sanitation solutions using uh, fecal sludge management and septic tanks? That would have a big impact on the cost of providing uh, sanitation facilities. And I can also imagine that the end users should pay more. The end users can contribute They don't have to pay more. It could be just that we deliver things more efficiently or they contribute in kind. Um, an example in rural water systems is the use of community-based organizations and using this so-called demand-responsive approach where the communities get involved. And they can come up with uh, kind of lower-cost solutions which they're willing to operate. And that creates you know, a lower cost and therefore money that is available can be spread 
Okay, so let's see how this works out in the field in Uganda, for example. On the line, we have uh, Fred Mohamuza. Welcome, Fred. Yeah, thank you for having me here. And what do you think about the solutions that Bill just mentions? Do you think these measures would solve problems in Uganda? Yeah, there are quite a number of investigative solutions. One of the things we do notice is uh, every other sector is actually increasing pressure on government to finance them. So the government alone, without having maybe joint international partnerships to attract more specific and targeted resources to the wash sector, would be a challenge. It would require an international effort to raise the profile and the need for people to discuss and specifically target resources to the private sector, but also to come up with, I think, one of the issues of attracting private capital into uh, wash investments, which, as we have said, will require communities now recognizing that private capital has a relationship with the commercial cost. So they will certainly have to prepare for paying a little bit more than what they have perceived to be a cheap or even free service from the government. So some of those initiatives will require some preparation of the public and in order to have them accepted by the people for sustainability, but also easing the burden on the private investors to prepare the ground for them to come in, knowing that the community is ready to accept a little bit more of a commercial rate. Uh, we're very curious to understand what's happening in Uganda because Uganda is, is on the forefront of uh, committing to the sustainable development goals. Uh, it has it's been tracking and monitoring the sector uh, quite um, tightly uh, with the yearly sector reviews. Uh, but there's there's a problem because despite some of the massive investments of the last years, coverage uh, and reaching more people has actually stagnated. That's what the latest uh, data tells us. Do you? Can you tell us a little bit what's happening? Why is this happening? It's true we've had uh, massive investments in uh, infrastructure and the target was to continue increasing coverage and reach out to as many people uh, as possible. Mm-hmm. But the problem that comes up is uh, as you increase coverage, also the maintenance costs increase mm-hmm. to keep the systems you have put in place operating. Now, if the budget does not increase uh, in the same rate to allow now both maintenance and establishment of new infrastructure to reach out to the other people, then uh, there is a trade-off between whether you want to increase the coverage or you want to continue sustaining the existing systems. And I think the choice in the sector is not to lose off the previous investments. Mm -hmm. So as the budget has not increased, they have chosen to at least maintain existing systems as they wait for additional finances, which can help them to expand the coverage and reach out to the new uh, communities. Fred Muumuza, it's a clear story. Thank you so much for being with us from Kampala, Uganda. Um, So the financing challenge is not just all about the money. It's also about effective engineering solutions. It's about well-run service providers and policy that gives incentives to good behavior. We we talked about this earlier with you, Bill. Um, It seems that there are solutions out there to meet the sustainable development goals. But how far are we in achieving them and what still needs to be done? Uh, Clearly, we've got some way to go, and that's the challenge for all of us, all uh, development uh, partners. And 
I think we have to draw on these good experiences that I've mentioned a few of them. Um, and how do we scale them up? And I think in a way this requires a kind of change in mindset uh, in the sector to really focus on the SDGs and saying, look, let, let's start being more innovative about how we deal with these uh, issues. Let's think about how we can encourage urban utilities, for example, to become more efficient uh, because that releases funds that can be used uh, to expand service. Um, let's think about these technical solutions that we're talking about. Do we need to always have the high standards that are sometimes in place? Can we allow a stepped movement towards those standards so that some people get something uh, rather than not getting anything uh, at all? And I, I think it's doable. I mean, it's, it's quite fascinating that um, the amount of inefficiency in the sector, I think, uh, you know, it, it's a blessing and a curse. It's a curse at the moment. But if we look forwards, I mean, if we can make uh, utilities uh, more efficient, we can really increase their opportunities to access alternative sources of finance. And it was interesting what Fred was saying. He's saying, you know, let's wait for additional finance. Now, in a way, as a sector, you know, sometimes we've waited for the next tranche of development funds to come from a government or the next uh, tranche of concessional funds to arrive. Now, if we can think about using those concessional funds to leverage uh, additional finance from the private sector, then we don't have to wait so long. You know, rather than waiting for the money to come from above, as it were, let's see how we can use that money more effectively to mobilize money that's available in many countries, you know, there are big savers. I used to work in Vietnam. Huge number of life insurance companies. They are looking for places to put money in the long term. The water sector should be and can be a safe, reliable, long-term business, which people could provide finance for. Let's see how we could do that. But should we also consider what the costs should be if we would not invest in these things? I think that's an excellent point, and they're the things that get uh, somewhat lost in all this uh, discussion. Uh, there's a lot of emphasis and discussion at the moment about stunting, um, and stunting can result from uh, you know, inadequate nutrition, but also related to wash. And that can be costing countries GDP in the range from 4 to 11 percent. A quarter of children under five are actually stunted, which is a huge issue. And it's not just for today, it's for the future, because these people won't have the same economic um, opportunities going forwards. But the clock is ticking. We have only 13 years left. And the progress, especially in the wash sector, has been quite slow. What do you think will be the one trigger that can generate the finance that is needed to achieve the sustainable development goals? So, I guess, very simplistic to have one. But I think leadership, political leadership right from the top, you know, are we going to deliver on the SDGs? And if the leadership from the top says, yes, we are going to do that, and then everybody has to focus on, well, how are we going to do that? Then this change in mindset uh, could conceivably come about. And in 13 years time, we will be much closer to the SDGs and maybe have met them in, in many countries. Um, even if we can't do that in all countries. But it will f force us to be creative in finding solutions, I guess. I think that's the key. And to do that, we need to be forced out of our comfort zone, which means we need to be told, you need to do more. Uh, 
with what you've got and not just wait for more and more money to come from concessional arrangements. Thank you very much, Bill Kingdom, the global lead for water and sanitation at the World Bank. Thanks for being with us today. Um, Katerina, to wrap up, what are the most important takeaways from this episode? So thank you very much. Um, I think I take two main points. Well, the first one is that to meet the SDGs is, is more than finance. Uh, we need the people with the skills to run the sector so we can increase performance. We can increase performance of service providers. We can in- improve the governance in the sector. The thing is, this needs money too. So getting the skills, um, getting the people with the right skills costs money too. And the second one is that to achieve the SDGs, there's nothing, there's no stronger showcase than government leadership um, than actually being able to raise domestic resources. And this means also fixing the institutions to be able and the service providers and the utilities to make sure that they are more efficient. So this can bring in uh, the additional funds required. I One f- last bit was, was interesting that Fred mentioned um, uh, the necessity for cross-subsidies between urban and rural areas to ensure that some of the areas that are not able to raise their own uh, resources, not even through tariffs, uh, can also have access to improved services. So a bit of share the burden. A share, a sharing the burden, yes. Thank you very much, Katerina. Well, that's it for this episode of Wash Talk. If you have any comments or questions about anything you heard, uh, please get in touch with us via our website, ircwash.org slash washtalk, or on Twitter, at ircwash, and you can use also the, the hashtag washtalk. In the next episode, we'll be talking about numbers. What is the best way to monitor the impact of wash services? We will discuss this with Tom Slaymaker. He's from the Joint Monitoring Program for Water Supply and Sanitation. Thank you for listening. This podcast was brought to you by IRC, an international think and do tank that works towards finding long-term solutions to the global crisis in water, sanitation and hygiene services, mainly in rural areas.